Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are studying the 21st parak of Sefer Melachim, which in many ways works as a self-contained narrative, but in important ways also builds on a discussion that we focused on in the last parak, and that is how are we meant to understand the character of King Ahav, especially post Har HaKarmel. Let's outline the events of the parak. It opens by telling us that there is a man named Navot who owned a apparently very beautiful vineyard, which was right next to the palace of Ahav and Isabel in Jezreel, in the fertile northern reaches of the northern kingdom. Ahav desperately wants Navot's vineyard. It's right next to his home. He can expand the boundaries of his, of his palace in that way, and he can plant a garden there. He offers to pay Navot handsomely for the land, but Navot refuses. Not because he's greedy, not because he's unreasonable. He refuses because this is his ancestral homeland. This is the land that has been passed down from generation to generation, and the Torah discourages selling such land. There are, of course, allowances to do so, but it's, it's obviously seen as an act of desperation, something that, some, that a person does when all other options have been um, depleted. And we know that the land goes back to the original owner in the Yovel year because Hashem wants it to be clear that, uh, <clears throat> firstly, that the, long belong, the land belongs to Hashem and that the correct state of affairs is that people should be in ownership of their ancestral homeland. In short, it's frowned upon and Navot is acting honorably and he's saying that he's not willing to engage in, uh, in any negotiations no matter how uh, rich the, the, the sum may be uh, for this piece of land. And, and the refusal sends Ahav into a depression. He stops eating. He lays in bed all day. For some reason, Ahav is, is deeply hurt and troubled by Navot's refusal. But importantly, <clears throat> Ahav does not seize the property. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't pursue any nefarious channels to get this land from Navot. He's just upset about it. But his wife, Izevel, so she finds out how broken up Ahav is about this land, and she tells him, you're the king. Go eat and drink. Have no fear. I'll take care of matters. The land will be yours. Izevel then orchestrates a very crafty plan. She sends a letter to the heads of the, the, the elders of the town, and she tells them to produce two witnesses who will falsely testify that Navot had cursed God and the king, they do so, and as a result, Navot is killed. So she kind of works through the legal system. She doesn't just kill Navot. She works through, in a very crafty and backhanded way, through the existing uh, infrastructure and institutions to have Navot killed. And after that, Izevel tells Achav she took care of things, and indeed the land is now his. He doesn't ask too many questions. He goes <clears throat> and he seizes the land. Now... Pausing here, we, we, already ha- we already have such a textured and complex picture of Ahav. On the one hand, he's not willing to take care of Navot by himself. He takes Navot's refusal as the final word, and he's upset about it. So he seems weak, but he's not wicked. He's not acting in a wicked way. Izevel is the one who's truly wicked. She coldly constructs this perfect crime and has an innocent, even pious man put to death. So it seems like they're, they're, they're quite different, uh, Ahav and Izevel. But it's not quite so simple to say that Izevel was really terrible and Ahav was not. After all, when Izevel comes back and tells Ahav, okay, the land's yours, problem solved, 
what do we, what do we, how do we explain what Achav was thinking at that moment? What, what did he assume happened? It's, it's very obvious. He, he had to have known that she killed Navot. So the picture one gets of Achav is kind of this spineless guy. He's not terribly immoral, but he married the wrong woman, to be sure. Uh, and she, Izevel, asserts a terrible influence on him. And in this moment, he's willing to turn a blind eye. He's willing to just, you know, not ask too many questions because he's just not a principled person. He's, he's weak in every sense. He is morally weak. He's ideologically weak. And he's a weak king. The picture fits in <clears throat> very well with what we have seen up until now. Uh, he's not too strong in his worship of Baal to then be, uh, you know, to, to, to not be convinced at Har HaKarmel. Let me say that in a little bit more of a clear way. Before Har HaKarmel, before Eliyahu has this massive display, so we know that he is worshiping foreign gods. But he's susceptible enough that when Eliyahu does perform the miracles at Har HaKarmel, Hashem performs miracles through Eliyahu, he is willing to change his tune, and he's willing to follow the words of Eliyahu. However, <clears throat> his convictions that he may have uh, gotten from that moment, that sense of inspiration and clarity with respect to Hashem, he's also not too strong, uh, such that when he goes home and Izevel says, I want to kill Eliyahu Anavi, he doesn't stop her, right? So he, he's just kind of, he's kind of like uh, getting uh, ping-ponged between these two sides, between Achav, uh, excuse me, between Izevel on the one hand and Eliyahu on the other hand. He's, he is, he, he has a, there's, he has this a terrible influence of Izevel, he, he starts worshipping Baal. Eliyahu uh, arrives and has this great miraculous display at Har HaKarmel. He says, okay, I'm going to listen to Eliyahu Anavi. He goes home and Izevel says, we're going to kill Eliyahu Anavi. And he says, yeah, we're going to kill Eliyahu Anavi. So then he's back uh, in the other direction. And now, once again, he, he's, he's kind of unwilling to kill uh, Navot. But once Izevel's willing to do the work, uh, okay, so he'll just go along with it. The point is, he is... A, a very weak individual, and he's being ping-ponged between these two very strong characters. Last parak too. Uh, he uh, is pushed by the Navi to do the right thing, to lead the nation to battle against Aram, but he's quickly persuaded to take, uh, uh, to take his foot off the pedal and to show mercy to Ben-Hadad when a delegation from, from Aram comes and, and begs him for, for, for mercy and sues for peace. He, he's, just, he's like, oh, of course, uh, um, Ben-Hadad is my brother, right? Achav is just spineless, that's the point. Izevel is evil, is evil, but Achav is spineless. Hashem then sends Eliyahu to confront Achav, and he finds him gleefully strolling through his new vineyard. So he basically catches him with his co- hand in the cookie jar, and he confronts him, and, uh, and uh, he, he uses the words that have become kind of an, an idiom, right? Have you killed and also taken possession? It's not bad enough that you killed him. Now you're going to go and add insult to injury and take the guy's ancestral homeland. Then Eliyahu pronounces the same death sentence for Achav as had been pronounced for Yeravam and for Basha, that they will die and, and not be granted proper burial, the dogs will, will eat them, etc. And we expect that the parak will come to a close uh, with, uh, with knowing that Achav is going to die, Izevel is going to be punished, etc. And then there's a curveball. And I think it's uh, true to form, actually. Achav, Achav does something that we don't expect. He does tshuva. 
He tears his clothing, he puts on sackcloth, and he fasts. And Hashem once more speaks to Eliyahu, saying that since Achav has humbled himself before me, uh, his punishment will be pushed off. So he manages in this moment of, uh, of, of sincerity to, uh, to do tshuva and for his punishment to have been lessened by being pushed off a generation. And so ends the parak. And we find different opinions <coughs> in Chazal regarding the sincerity of Achav's tshuva. Did he mean it? Was it just a show? To me, especially in light of Hashem having accepted this repentance, it's, it's patently clear that Achav was sincere in this moment. The problem is for Achav, it's easy come, easy go. He has a moment of moral clarity with Eliyahu, but then Izebel will assert her influence and he'll be once more back to the, his old ways. And then he'll go back to Eliyahu and then back and forth and back and forth. Achav can, can have a moment of sincere repentance when confronted. That is the, uh, the upside of being uh, not so hardened in your position. But it's, of course, it's not a lasting change because he's not hardened in tshuva either. He's just... He has no integrity, he has no, back, no backbone, and nothing to preserve the meaningful change even after he's had these kinds of spectacular moments of inspiration. That's it for today. Chazak ve'amatz and happy learning.